I'm coming at you live, livid, locked, loaded, like a baked, loaded potato, with a big old heaping help and some smothered, smoked, potatoey goodness for this episode of the podcast. I am Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, and I'm coming again, joined by this nefarious goon known as Sarah. Hello! Alright, that's, okay. Still here. Okay, that's enough, honey. Okay. So anyway, um, we are coming at you with another episode about our lovely little campaign setting. That we're trying to generate. It's a lot more difficult when you don't start with a complete idea. So, I mean, we're, I mean I'm mean, i just shooting at it from the hip right now. But we've got a couple more questions to go over. And again, I'm trying to do a couple questions at a time for the podcast. Because some of them are going to be answered really quick. And some of them are going to take a bit longer to answer. So, Sarah. Yep. How are you? I'm doing well. So anyway, on that note, um, I think it's time we jump right on into the podcast. So the two questions we have today, because I think we're going to be able to just do the two. And again, I'm building a campaign with Sarah here that we're going to be using. Um, don't worry, a spider is attacking Sarah. She failed on her initiative check and the spider dropped her for some extra poison damage. Uh, we knew the well. I get XP for the two of them. It was my spider. But anyway, um... So the two questions I have, uh, one of them is, who is the most nefarious villain in your world, and who is the most renowned hero? I don't imagine we're going to get onto anything else beyond that, so let's just see where we can go. We're trying to build a campaign setting right now, kind of cold, uh, just shooting from the hip, and we're going to see what kind of world we can generate just by doing this, and based off of our personal taste. Last episode, we talked about how much we enjoy having uh, sort of a sword and sorcery focused world with some grit and some intrigue to it that makes it a game worth role-playing in and not just making a character. So we want a world that's going to pull people in and keep their attention and make them feel like they're part of something bigger, right? Um, uh, does that come uh, come up to snuff for you, uh, Sarah? Yep. Okay, well, I wasn't really asking, but anyway. The young Grognard still acts like he cares. Yep. Okay. So anyway, uh, first question is, who is the most nefarious villain in your world? Uh, Steve. Uh, it's it's gonna be Steve. I don't know who Steve. Lionel. Yeah, but then I think of Lionel Richie, and I, <laughs> all night long takes on a very different meaning when Hello. it's a when it's a nefar- <laughs> He just wants to make contact with somebody, okay? <laughs> oh, a warlock, just a trapped sad in a lonely villain. He's like somebody love me. Trapped in a diamond prison, looking at his mirror, begging for the day somebody comes back home. Hello. <laughs> all night long, he sits and he weeps. You know, okay, I'm gonna roll with that. So anyway, Lionel Richie, the evil villain, we're gonna call him. How about Ryanel? No, Ryanel. I don't. Ryanel sounds better. So Ryanel Lichie. Oh, he's a lich name. <laughs> Ryanel the lich. Nah, we've had way too many lich villains. I do like the idea of a villain who's sort of trapped forever, though. I like the idea because okay. I'm already jumping the gate on this one, but I think villains need to be redeemable in some way. And I think all heroes need to be villainous in some way. 
And I think that if you do not find a way to add some texture to your good guys and your bad guys like that, they're going to be bland, they're going to be two-dimensional, and nobody's going to give a shit whether they live or whether they die. So in order to make uh, Ryan L. Litchie into a cool guy, (laughs) the more I say it, the more I like it. I know. Hello. (laughs) But um, I think I'm going to, you know, the podcast isn't big enough to ever get slapped by any sort of Anyway, all right. So anyway, Ryan L. Litchie, uh, leader leader of the uh, undead cats. Um, get it, Ryan L. Mm-hmm. Okay. So anyway, uh, he. Uh, or would it be the undercats? Maybe they're like. No. Okay, I'm done with that. So anyway, the the uh, the nefarious villain. I think something that just immediately screams to me is a villain who sort of preserved and trapped all in the same sense. I like the idea of a villain who has all the power in the world. They just do not have the blue wire connected to the blue wire. And for that reason, they're stuck in neutral, floating in the nether space, waiting to strike, but they will never be able to actually do it unless something terrible happens. And that's where some sort of epic campaign can come into play, that somebody's found the way to connect the blue wire to the blue wire. Uh, The trick is to use your hands. Um, But, yeah... So, I, I don't know. How, how do you feel about that sort of thing? Do you think that the evil villain doesn't... I mean, it should be sort of a living, breathing entity? Um, I don't think it has to be. I think it's kind of more ominous to have something that's, you know, evil and there, but not really there. You know, like, tales of the, the dread the dread pirate who comes in at night and you can only see his ship in the fogs and things like that. I think that is much more ominous and kind of scary and imposing and also leads to more of it just being then instead of it being just like this is the dread pirate manny and he's been in the town and he's been taking slaves blah blah, blah and you have to go and fight him i think having a villain that's a little bit more mysterious and removed from that is more interesting it leads to a longer campaign and, and more i guess material with which to work as a dm and more material for a player to enjoy um yeah it kind of reminds me of the video game um sport where it makes me sport right where you're a little thingy and you grow yeah. up and all that stuff. It just makes me think about when you're the little tiny germ in the pond and you have to, like, eat little germs until you eat bigger germs. But all the while, you can see beneath you, the in the lens beneath you, like, even bigger ones that are so huge that you don't even come up on their radar. They don't even care about you being around. I think that way about giant evil villains sometimes, where it's like... No evil villain would ever care about the stupid mindless NPCs mm-hmm. or the characters for that matter until they're of a certain level. So the idea of it being sort of a disconnected wire on the super evil villain, you could even have it be a super ultra evil villain, but they've just managed to be at bay fighting other gods or whatever that they've never bothered to even care about the party's existence, you know? But there's something beautiful to me about the idea of maybe uh it also makes me think about typical like campaign villains for games. It makes me think. I know we were joking about Lionel, uh, sorry, Lionel Litchie, but like, how many campaigns have had a fucking lich as the big bad guy? That's like this super duper evil undead guy with all the power in the world, but he's trapped away in his evil stinky dungeon. Like, I, so let's let's pull that apart. Why is that the coolest idea? And we'll just suggest the reason why it stinks is because everybody does it. But why is it a cool idea? Why do you think liches make for such great final bosses? Because they're complicated. <laughs> Maybe. Well, that's the podcast, everybody. I'll, I'll see y'all later. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean... I mean, I think the big reason why is because they're calculating. They make for great evil villains because they've got the wherewithal and the intelligence 
to pull off mm. master schemes. Mm. And that's the thing. If you just have your evil villain be the Tarask, which is probably the polar opposite, but same level of magnitude as a super lich, is like, you know, it's just Godzilla. Like, it's literally got all the same amount of destructive capability, but in such a different sense. It's just the barbarian Godzilla that just runs through and destroys everything. There's no finesse. But, like, nobody, I don't know. But that, that goes back, to, well, sorry to cut you off, but that goes to the back to the point where you said last podcast, where you want this world to be a world where players care less about numbers and more about role-playing, and to me, a villain that's just like the Tarasque is kind of like a numbers villain. It's the kind of villain that you slap down on the table and you're like, bam, look at this big, bad, baddie, bad, baddie. Whereas if you have a villain that, you know, is hindered in some way, or there's some sort of growth with that villain that engages the characters much more, it's as opposed to them getting a villain that's just dropped in their lap, like, here you go, magical villain, and now you have to beat him. It's more like... They get to see the villain grow. They get to see the ripples of that villain throughout the world. Perhaps they do something in a realm that ends up trickling and causes the villain to move forward in his plan. And that way, you know, they're unknowingly contributing to his development. And I think that is a much more interesting villain than one that's just a big bad guy that you, you know, throw Tiamat at them. And you're like, oh, here you go, you know? Yeah, and I think that that's the reason why things like Dragonlance do so well. Because the literature surrounding it has so many, like romanticized and classic uh like complicated villains that have so much preamble and so much deep and devastating background that make them into these like jaded fractal characters with so much going on that it's hard to hate them because they have such a glimmer of hope to them but I, that's the kind of villain i want and for that reason i think we need to have it be something complicated like that and i think the idea that we get to kind of freeze like freeze them in time or do something to disconnect them makes them really neat in the fact that they never got killed they were never defeated something happened that locked them away in a sense that they can come back there's a way to bring them back somehow so will they be in a diamond prison i don't know i don't think that that's as neat plus i think conan already did that but i do think that the idea of them being a lich i'm not so sold on it it's hard for me to say so in that case, what's another common supervillain that we got? Because I'm thinking about it, that's it's usually just a dragon. You know what I mean? Like, it's either a dragon, a wizard, a lich. It's usually a magic user. Mm -hmm. But it's cool to think of evil villains being, like, druidic evil villains, which I've tried to pull that off one time. Um, and then the idea of having, like, just a super evil cleric guy, which that's something that, uh, again, Dragonlance, the... Uh, was it Dragons of Autumn, I think? The first book, it had the, the evil priest cleric guy with the cool helmet. Kind of a weird helmet, but either way. But he was a priest, I believe. And so, I don't know. The idea of having a priest be a final boss, an evil nefarious villain, is a neat one because it lets all the power behind them fall on the shoulders of whoever they worship. Which, again, brings up the idea of the Tarask because it's like... Well, if you worship the god of blood and death, and it's just this giant heap of, of, I don't know, rotten, mutated meat and bones and hatred and poison and bleh, and there's one priest who's kind of directing it at his will, is that not the same thing as having the lich command the Tarask? You know what I mean? Mm. And it's like, at that point, it's not just a numbers game with the big baddie bad bad. I think that's how many times you said bad, but yeah. Yeah, I kind of just stuttered and just... That's usually how it works. <laughs> Uh, but I think that having something like a, a priest makes for a cool evil villain. And if we try to combine the idea that the priest is frozen away as well as, like, 
if if we're if you're cool with saying that the most nefarious villain is some evil priest, I think that I think that's cool. I think it's neat because it gives us a lot of a interesting power struggle because the priest will always be secondary to that which they worship, right? Right. And I think what's neat about it is the idea that if they're frozen in time, the question is, was it by choice? Or was it some blunder? Or mm -hmm. was it a mysterious happening that people yeah. don't know? Like, what happens if the evil villain was frozen in... Let's just say it's diamond. Let's just say they're encased in the most hardened, impossibly thick diamond ever. It was like a meteor crashed from the heavens and smashed into them and they're encased in the most perfect diamond ever and it's like a monument to this evil villain that they were like struck by this and they're perfectly preserved and they've been perfectly preserved for like a thousand years and mm -hmm. a day mm -hmm. and the whole point is is that nobody knows who sent this missile who had this much power some people say it was a good god that smote that bad guy mm -hmm. some say it was the bad guys who smote him and preserved him but nobody really knows for certain and mm -hmm. so we've got sort of again an evil villain with his wheels in neutral I, I think a good thing to do in this world and i love this idea if we're cool with doing the evil villain being a religious guy I love the idea that gods generate their power by how many followers they have, which is why you can have forgotten gods that still have like their writings somewhere in the cosmos. And as long as there's somebody reading, they're sort of like a single lighter lit up in the darkness of their realm. And it shows that like they get some warmth from it. They get brought back a little bit for it. You know what I mean? Yep. So I like the idea that once that guy was preserved and he was sort of the only one who had any connection to the god, he's the only one who can i don't know maybe after he was locked away everybody burned all his materials they killed off all of his followers mm. and thus there was no way to resurrect that bad guy mm. now i'm not saying we name him ryanel litchy but i will say ryanel i'll say ryanel's good I'll say, that's we're not gonna, a terrible yeah, name yeah we're gonna keep ryanel i also love titles and if we're going for the sword and sorcery thing I think that if we gave him a name like Ryanel the Blood King or like Ryanel mm. the Bone King or Ryanel Lord of Death or Ryanel Lord of Savagery, something like that to that effect mm. that gives him sort of the idea that he's a lord over his dominion, meaning that he was given his dominion from a god mm -hmm. as if he was given sort of this manifest destiny to be the ruler of a kingdom of dread or something like that. Mm. So if he's Ryanel Lord of Dread, or a lord of the damned kingdom, or damned lands, or something like that. Lord of the damned lands. So I feel like that that reminds like... me of Kill Tony with the best damn band in the land. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think, here comes Ryan L. Litchie with or the like best lord damned of the, band lord in the land. Or the dread lands or something. <laughs> no, I guess not. That's worse. I mean, I also think that... <laughs> Okay, we're retconning all this. Ryan L. Litchie is actually a bard, and he's from the best damned band in the land. <laughs> And it's just a gaggle of undead bards, and they go around the countryside playing terrible hits. But, okay, but in all seriousness, though, I do think that that's great. And I also love the idea that he could have multiple titles. So what god he worships, maybe he worships a triumvirate. And maybe it's like, I always love the idea of having multiple gods. But maybe there was like three evil gods who were all, I don't want to take from Diablo or, or their universe or anything, but... Maybe have them be like, I don't know, a trio of brother gods or like children beneath something even more sinister. And maybe mm. this priest was like the fourth son. And maybe they even have him be the bastard son, bastard lord of the damned kingdom or something like that. Maybe 
that's his whole pull in all this is that he has a destiny much greater than all of this and for that reason people believed him and he pulled off his evil malign miracles and yada 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 but i like the idea of him being a warlord who's this religious dude who has some power Mm. but what that power is i don't really know right now i think that if we are going to make good use of our time we have on the podcast maybe we can't dredge too deep into the details but i think ryanel the damned king the lord of the dominion of dread or something like that of the damned lands lord of the damned lands whatever it all it's all serving the same function what do you think his domain should be as if like a religious domain kind of like how you can have the domain of life or or light or fire or earth or whatever what do you think fits for him or do you think he should i don't know like we said the triumvirate or like i said sorry i've been just rambling to myself but if he does represent the triumvirate of like the evil gods or maybe it's four of them maybe it's six of them maybe his domains are one of each of the six and each yeah. one of the damned princes or princesses or whatever, maybe each of them gives him one power. And that's where his his general powers come from. And maybe there's even some lore that he was to provide the seventh power. And it was the idea that like he did six miracles when he assumed his position. Or, or maybe he's the sixth. And there's five before him. There's like the pentagram of the gods and he's in the middle. middle, And once each of the five, you know, terrible miracles have been accomplished, he can finish with the sixth miracle, which Mm -hmm. is blank, blank, blank. And maybe that's why when the diamond fell right before he could finish it. Yeah. And that's why people have a lot of, I don't know, suspicions about what that could actually mean. So what those five would be, typically I go to things like terror and then I go to things like pestilence. Decay. And then you, and right, death and yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So those ones I think can be best left alone for right now. But we'll just say that when we get to the god section, we can give a lot more power to the five. And we'll call them something nifty. But uh, now we got to talk about the most... Heroic hero. Yeah. <laughs> All good. <laughs> the most villainous villain and the most renowned hero. Oh, renowned. Sorry. So, I mean, they specifically say the most renowned hero in the world. Um, so that would just be the hero that's talked about the most. So I don't know if that's important, but I feel like that does deserve some importance. So let's think of other most renowned heroes in the world. And honestly, for some reason, this strikes me as way harder than coming up with a villain. And I don't know why, but for some reason it feels that way. Who would you say is the most renowned hero in the Lord of the Rings? Right? Like, it's, I, I just, I can't think of one. Or, like... For the listeners at home, cue a blank face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I thought you said that for the lizards renowned. at home. Hashtag represent the lizards. <laughs> the lizard folk, yeah. Hashtag reptile present. Um, I don't, I don't know, because renowned, renowned is a funny word, right? Because it means that, like... Well, because that's when I started to think about Aragorn as being, like, like as, as Strider being, like, he was renowned. He had a title. He had, a he had, like... You know, a legacy to him that was brought on by, I don't know, his good deeds But I deeds also think of, like, for instance, like, the White Wizard. Yeah. Well, right? that's what I'm saying, is that like, they all have renown, but, like, is that how we're gauging this? Or is it just, like, the superhero, like, the like Superman Like, who did the, the most world? heroic thing? Because, like, Superman is also the most renowned hero of his world. Well, I right. mean, I, obviously you can make different arguments for it, but I think Superman is a great example for that in a more, like, sort of real-world kind of example, where we're allowed to have renowned heroes. Who's the most renowned hero in the actual world? 
Because that gets pretty political pretty fucking yeah. quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, I don't know, I mean, that's why it's so hard to think of, like, because you can think of, like, classic examples throughout history, and you have people like, you know, like Martin Luther King Jr., you have people like Gandhi, Mother Teresa, obviously all these people have some gray to their, to their, to their goodness, but I think that's the point of a great hero, is that one that's renowned heroically. So somebody who through the annals of time will always be revered as like the super good guy who did everything to help everybody. But those who know them know that there's actually some darkness to them Mm. and knows that there were some trials. And I think that that's the beauty of heroes is sometimes the renown is what we know them for. It's not our personal experience. It's not anything like that. It's what we've read in books, what we've heard in songs. You know what I mean? Right. So when we're making this hero, I want it to be known that they're the most renowned hero in the world. It's, It's somebody who's done great things, but they're known for so much more. So maybe... We could even argue that if there was that super bad evil guy priest guy, Ryan L., uh, maybe there's his opposite. And there's a person who is revered as sort of like an angelic presence, like something of like the seventh son of such and such. And that's why he's got the same sort of balance of angelic power. But something about that strikes me as being kind of like, meh. Mm -hmm. And instead, I, I almost want to raise this to a different level and say... Why not have this person be an ancient hero and instead yeah. have people who like revere him? Maybe he even became a god. Maybe this was like one of the only mortal gods, and this was one of the only people who, through heroic deeds, managed to pull off becoming a god. You know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one, that we've done a lot of talk about gods already, or at least I've been chucking a lot of that, but I don't know. Do you feel like it gets kind of dirty when you start throwing around the G word all the time in here, talking about heroes? I mean, not really. It doesn't really... I don't know. I feel like that would be really inspiring as well for new players and PCs. This hero who did such amazing and wonderful things and then, you know, ascended to godhood. That's kind of... You know, and I thought about it earlier, too, (laughs) that I think something that would be really neat in the campaign setting would be to sort of define every major era of the campaign by saying that one god falls from their throne or is sort of retired and moves into the status of old gods... And then they're sort of worshipped in a different way. And maybe a new god is selected amongst the mortal realm. Mm. And it's somebody who goes on some massive hero's quest or some massive hero's journey. And they're sort of selected to become a god in their own right. And mm. for that reason, piety is re- re- like revered for its own sake of people who, I don't know, seek, I don't know, to do something greater than themselves. And to sort of like, I don't know. It almost makes me think of, like, paladins or knights with causes, and it makes me think of them, like, not necessarily being like, I fight for the kingdom, but I fight for, I don't know, equality for all. And that's, like, their their quest in life is to preserve that. So I like the idea that every age could be defined by a certain god. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then the idea that maybe the players live in a campaign setting where gods are chosen amongst the mortals. And that's why, I don't know people go on these big quests and why people have such a drive to fight evil is this idea of a revolving wheel of gods you know what i mean Mm. but in that case maybe we could say the most iconic hero the most renowned hero is the last one to ascend to godhood yeah and it was the last person who like i don't know maybe there was a dark age before this that happened and he was the first one to be selected in eons maybe that's what happens is the idea that it's been like thousands of years since somebody's been chosen and one person came along Mm -hmm. and were chosen 
And I think what would be neat about the gray area is, I don't know, if they have some sort of a weird thing that they have to atone for, and that's what gives them their texture, is the idea of somebody who had some great moment that changed them enough that they went on this massive quest to change themselves, mm. and they did so well in it that they were chosen for godhood. Maybe they were even chosen early. Maybe it was like this weird and sort of strange event where somebody was selected and raised to godhood before anybody would have suspected that it was the time to do so. You know? Mm. I know that sort of takes agency away from the players and adds a lot of storyline for fluff, but I don't know. What kind of hero speaks to you for that sort of thing? Do they have to be super well-rounded or just somebody who strives for a cause? Because, again, if Mother Teresa is becoming a saint or, or whatever, I mean, I don't think she was doing a lot of, like, I don't know, American Ninja Warrior miracles. Like, she was in one lane serving one cause. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think I think it has to be, or at least in my brain, to ascend to godhood. you got to do something specific that's, you know, greater than just yourself. You know, if you go around and you every single time, every day, you're polite and kind and you're generous and you're, you know, I don't know, like right. a reformed Scrooge or right. whatever. It's an exceptional like, quest. But mm -hmm. my, my question is, do they have to be an exceptional person or is it just a person who's managed to do one exceptional quest that represents one idyllic thing? Like when you think of, I don't know, um, I think it's more interesting like a classic Greek god who has like one major flaw, but usually they have a few things that they're really good at. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So does this person have to be really good at a few things or is it necessarily just like one thing that they're like the most selfless person ever is the person who like literally gave their life to such and such, yada, yada, yada. You know what I mean? Hmm. Is it, you know what I mean, the most most strong person in the world is the person who literally, like, <laughs> stopped a meteor. And for that, that feat of strength, they were given the title of, like, the god of war or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think it's... The I... one man who fought an entire army and won. And for that reason, they were given, you know, the status of the god of war. You know what I mean? Yeah. I kind of like the idea of it being, like you said, being, like, you know, not some humdrum activity, but it has to be, like something worthy of godhood ascension yes you know and i like the idea that it was one thing that they did specifically rather well, than think, just a i think i think someone of... just being like this person's exceptional and that's why he ascends that's that's boring i think a little bit and then also i don't know it factors into earlier i said about inspiration and things like that you know this figure is if you're saying there's been a dark era for such a long time and this person's ascended then that means they're going to be an absolute like token of inspiration for you know adventurers everywhere and everything like that and i feel like if it's just you know well this guy was born with angel blood so that's what makes him such a hero oh, or yeah. anything we like that, or, and, that obviously but i'm just you know that kind of thing where it's they're born exceptional or they are exceptional and that's why they ascend i think it would be more interesting for someone to have you know done some great feat and something heroic you know and I think there's something to be said also about how this would play into the campaign storyline by having, like, which god left the ascendancy, or, like, like the godhood status, the pantheon, which one left, and what that means to the world of people who worship good gods. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, if the last god to leave is the god of peace or harmony or something like that, and instead now a new god joins the pantheon and it's a god of war like what yeah, does that does say for the time mm -hmm. and so i think that it would be interesting to think the players are going to be in a campaign world where that happened and it's sort of the end of that age and so a new god is going to be selected so maybe the most notorious uh, the most renowned hero is one that sort of sets the scene of the campaign world we're in and if we're talking about grit and that idea of 
of like intrigue, but we want to keep kingdoms and sorcerers and all that magic stuff. Maybe we need to have sort of and this almost reminds me of kind of like when people look at, you know, the 90s or they look at the 80s and they sort of peel back the layers of culture to see like kind of the rotting mainframe once you leave a decade and see how like things were almost perversely so in their own flavor that it was just kind of like, I don't know, almost ironic. So like if this was a god of bravery was the one who was the last one to ascend and it was an era of bravery where great wars were fought, evil villains were destroyed, like the final war happened, that guy got encased in diamond, and yet towards the end of this era we have pathetic kings who rule sovereignty, like they're sovereign kings who, I don't know, rule by paying people off, they hire mercenaries, there's no pride in your country, there's no pride in a name anymore, and we're moving into an age of, I don't know, weakness and selfishness and evil is on the rise because nobody kind of really cares to do anything about it. I like the idea that the last person to ascend was the god of bravery and how in this age sort of, I don't know, people over time grew kind of like this jaded opinion on the brave hero. Mm. And maybe this is an age where adventurers aren't given the same level of respect. Mm. They're almost seen as like everybody wanted to be macho man bravery savage and so everybody went on a king's quest. Mm. Everybody did this to the point Everybody, it just turned into sort of like an occupation for, I don't know, hipsters and dinglings where, yeah. you know what I mean? It just wasn't, it wasn't a good thing to do. And people almost frown on adventurers and people look at yeah. that line of work as being that for like savages who wish to make a name for themselves by just drinking beer and killing stuff. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Rather than living a good and honest life of tending a field or working mm -hmm. a craft, mastering something. This is an age where adventurers and heroes aren't revered as being great people. Yeah. And instead, the last guy we had who did that caused the greatest time of troubles because there was more wars, because more kings felt this was a time to strike. Maybe, you know what I mean, more heroes did these deadly quests and caused more trouble, woke mm -hmm. up more dragons, alerted more evil bad guys. Like, this was an age of awakening but they just ended up waking up all the worst parts of humanity Disruption because of just, it. Yeah. Right. It caused a disturbance and disbalance. Mm -hmm. So maybe the last uh, the last god to ascend, the last renowned hero, is some super brave adventurer. And so, I don't know. Maybe he was the one who faced that super evil bad guy, and it was the last like last bit of the battle. And when that guy got shot into the uh, the thing of diamond, maybe that's why... I don't know that's how the battle ended and maybe the guy was ascended to the status of the god of bravery because he faced him head on the whole time or something mm, like that mm -hmm. where everybody else left it was just those two and as the battle looked its worst and right before the last you know miracle happened and, and the world got destroyed or whatever he ran in jumped at him maybe they're both encased into the diamond mm. permanently and i don't know one of them ascended to godhood and nobody knows what happened to the evil guy how does he ascend to Godhood if he's locked in diamond? His soul. Just as, oh, okay. And maybe his body, like, rots or something like that mm, in there. Delicious. Yeah. I mean, I imagine, like, that kind of slow cooking is probably going to do something. Yeah. I mean, liquid hot diamond is probably pretty toasty. <laughs> but maybe that's it. And maybe that's why that site itself is sort of like this revered location where, I don't know, the last good god to ascend is locked in with the most evil being of history. Mm. And they're both like six inches away from one another mm -hmm. both of them deadlocked in the final death blow but neither of them are dead neither of them are truly living and it's sort of this 
again, monument to a time of good versus evil, yet now we live in a gray age where nobody wants heroes yep. and villains are on the rise simply because we can't tell where our heroes are anymore. Yep. Good kings are hard to find, and kings that are successful are a dime a dozen. So I like that. So then, I, if we can just give kind of a, a rough snapshot for that hero guy. I mean, maybe he's nameless. Maybe he's sort of an adventurer who's a mercenary his whole yeah. life, has done quests, and just came out of nowhere. And just had a moment of bravery in the battle, and he ran in. And he just felt his, his calling. He's like, this is... He had a and feeling. that's why he has so much renown, is because mm. people look at all moments in history where there was a hero without a name and gave him that position. Yeah. And said it was, uh, I don't know. Okay, so if we have Ryan L. Litchie as the... Uh, I'm only really attached to Ryan L, okay? The Litchie can come or go, right? Right, right, right. Sure, okay. <laughs> Fucking shut up. Okay, I'm just rolling with it. So who's another Who's another musical artist that we could riff on? Because I feel like that's um, kind of... I was trying to think of that earlier, and all I could think of was Boy George. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's like Karma, 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 Chameleon. <laughs> I don't know Joy why. Gorge. <laughs> no. I was trying to think of the antithesis to Lionel Richie. Um... <laughs> And I didn't, I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't think of anything either. Either that or like, well, what's his name? I mean, Rick why not? Astley or whatever. No, oh my God. <laughs> but that's too... How about Assy Rick? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Great. Sounds real heroic. <laughs> um, I don't actually want to give him a name, and I yeah. think instead he deserves just a title. A title, yeah. And maybe he has a name, but he's gotten a hundred names over his lifetime, but the one he knew that battle is, I don't know, something that sounds heroic, like... Amnos or like Amnos or something like that. You know what I mean? Like Amnos the Brave or you know what I mean? Amnaros. Like yeah. Three, I don't know. Sure. Amnaros. I like Amnaros the Brave and Ryanel the the bastard lord of the damned of lands. Land, yep. <laughs> of the land damned. <laughs> On the Beth damned land of land of land Banana ram damn ding damn dong. Can you tell it's late everybody? Um, I think it's late. But, okay, so I, I think that that's dope, and I think that sets up pretty well for everything that's going to come after this. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I, I think that's great. So, again, if anybody's got anything they'd like to talk about, please shoot a message. Shoot, shoot a message to my Twitter. You can email me. I'm at younggrognard at gmail.com. Shoot me an email. Um, if not, I mean, again, I'm on Twitter, ygrognard. Uh, shoot me a message there. I'm going to be posting about this. I'm going to be talking about it. Um, but yeah, I would love to hear back from anybody. This episode ran kind of long, but I think this was a deep cut one, and we did a lot of world building in this. So I love this kind of stuff, and I hope to do some more soon. So yeah, uh, DMs, appreciate your players. Players, appreciate your DMs. All you guys out there, roll big old fat critical 20s. May your fumbles uh, be far and few between. Go check out the uh, Radio Grognard. That guy is A-OK -okay in my book. And uh, you got anything you want to say? Nope. Bye. Pleasure being here. Thanks. <laughs> I gotta come up with some kind of ending spiel. I don't know. Ba-dam-ba-ram-a-ding-dim-dong. <laughs> Damn-ba-dam-ba-dam-ba-dam-dam. <laughs> well, you know, on that note, I'm out here. Goodbye.